Section six of the Coquette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carrie Lynn Hewitt. The Coquette, or The History of Eliza Wharton, by Hannah Webster Foster. Section six. Letter thirty eight to Mrs. M. Wharton, Boston. You commanded me, my dear mamma, to write you. That command I cheerfully obey in testimony of my ready submission and respect. No other avocation could arrest my time which is now completely occupied in scenes of amusement. Mrs. Sumner is agreeably settled and situated. She appears to be possessed of every blessing which can render life desirable. Almost every day since our arrival has been engrossed by visitants. Our evenings we have devoted to company abroad, and that more generally than we should otherwise have done, as my stay is limited to so short a period. The museum, the theatres, the circus, and the assemblies have been frequented. Mrs. Sumner has made me several presents, notwithstanding which the articles requisite to a fashionable appearance have involved me in considerable expense. I fear that you will think me extravagant when you are told how much." Mr. Boyer tarried in town about a week having business. He appeared a little concerned at my taste for dissipation, as he once termed it. He even took the liberty to converse seriously on the subject. I was displeased with his freedom, and reminded him that I had the disposal of my own time as yet, and that, while I escaped the censure of my own heart, I hoped that no one else would presume to arraign it. He apologized, and gave up his argument. I was much surprised, the first time I went to the play, to see Major Sanford in the very next box. He immediately joined our party, and wherever I have been since, I have been almost sure to meet him. Mr. Boyer has taken his departure, and I do not expect to see him again till I return home. Oh, Mamma, I am embarrassed about this man. His worth I acknowledge. Nay, I esteem him very highly. But can there be happiness with such a disparity of dispositions? I shall soon return to the bosom of domestic tranquillity, to the arms of maternal tenderness, where I can deliberate and advise at leisure about this important matter. Till when, I am, etc., Eliza Wharton. Letter 39 to Mr. T. Selby, Hampshire. Dear Sir, I believe that I owe you an apology for my long silence, but my time has been much engrossed of late, and my mind much more so. When it will be otherwise, I cannot foresee— I fear, my friend, that there is some foundation for your suspicions regarding my beloved Eliza. What pity it is that so fair a form, so accomplished a mind, should be tarnished in the smallest degree by the follies of coquetry! If this be the fact, which I am loath to believe, all my regard for her shall never make me the dupe of it. When I arrived at her residence at Newhaven, where I told you in my last I was soon to go, she gave me a most cordial reception. Her whole behaviour to me was correspondent with those sentiments of esteem and affection which she modestly avowed. She permitted me to accompany her to Hartford, to restore her to her mother, and to declare my wish to receive her again from her hand. Thus far all was harmony and happiness. As all my wishes were consistent with virtue and honour, she readily indulged them. 
She took apparent pleasure in my company, encouraged my hopes of a future union, and listened to the tender accents of love. But the scenes of gaiety which invited her attention reversed her conduct. The delightful hours of mutual confidence, of sentimental converse, and of the interchange of refined affection were no more. Instead of these, parties were formed, unpleasing to my taste, and every opportunity was embraced to join in diversions in which she knew I could not consistently take a share. I, however, acquiesced in her pleasure, though I sometimes thought myself neglected, and even hinted it to her mother. The old lady apologized for her daughter by alleging that she had been absent for a long time, that her acquaintances were rejoiced at her return, and welcomed her by striving to promote her amusement. One of her most intimate friends was married during my stay, and she appeared deeply interested in the event. She spent several days in assisting her previous to the celebration. I resided, in the meantime, at her mamma's, visiting her at her friend's, where Major Sanford, among others, was received as a guest. Mrs. Sumner acquainted me that she had prevailed on Miss Wharton to go and spend a few weeks with her at Boston, whither she was removing, and urged my accompanying them. I endeavoured to excuse myself, as I had been absent from my people a considerable time, and my return was now expected but their importunity was so great, and Eliza's declaration that it would be very agreeable to her, so tempting, that I consented. Here I took lodgings and spent about a week, taking every opportunity to converse with Eliza, striving to discover her real disposition towards me. I mentioned the inconvenience of visiting her so often as I wished, and suggested my desire to enter as soon as might be into a family relation. I painted in the most alluring colours the pleasures resulting from domestic tranquillity, mutual confidence, and conjugal affection, and insisted on her declaring frankly whether she designed to share this happiness with me, and when it should commence. She owned that she intended to give me her hand, but when she should be ready she could not yet determine. She pretended a promise from me to wait her time, to consent that she should share the pleasures of the fashionable world as long as she chose, etc. I then attempted to convince her of her mistaken ideas of pleasure, that the scenes of dissipation of which she was so passionately fond afforded no true enjoyment, that the adulation of the coxcomb could not give durability to her charms, or secure the approbation of the wise and good nor could the fashionable amusements of brilliant assemblies and crowded theatres furnish the mind with that which nothing earthly gives or can destroy, the soul's calm sunshine and the heartfelt joy. These friendly suggestions, I found, were considered as the theme of a priest, and my desire to detach her from such empty pursuits as the selfishness of a lover. She was even offended at my freedom, and warmly affirmed that no one had a right to arraign her conduct. I mentioned Major Sanford, who was then in town, and who, though she went to places of public resort with Mr. and Mrs. Sumner, always met and gallanted her home. She rallied me upon my jealousy, as she termed it, wished that I would attend her myself, and then she should need no other gallant. I answered that I had rather resigned that honour to another, but wished for her sake that he might be a gentleman whose character would not disgrace the company with which he associated. She appeared mortified and chagrined in the extreme. 
However, she studiously suppressed her emotions, and even soothed me with the blandishments of female softness. We parted amicably. She promised to return soon, and prepare for a compliance with my wishes. I cannot refuse to believe her. I cannot cease to love her. My heart is in her possession. She has a perfect command of my passions. Persuasion dwells on her tongue. With all the boasted fortitude and resolution of our sex, we are but mere machines. Let love once pervade our breasts, and its object may mould us into any form that pleases her fancy or even caprice. I have just received a letter from Eliza, informing me of her return to Hartford. To-morrow I shall set out on a visit to the dear girl, for, my friend, notwithstanding all her foibles, she is very dear to me. Before you hear from me again, I expect that the happy day will be fixed, the day which shall unite in the most sacred bands this lovely maid, and your faithful friend, J. Boyer. Letter 40 To Mr. T. Selby, Hampshire I have returned, and the day indeed is fixed, but, oh, how different from my fond expectations! It is not the day of union, but the day of final separation, the day which divides me from my charmer, the day which breaks asunder the bands of love, the day on which my reason assumes its empire and triumphs over the arts of a finished coquette. Congratulate me, my friend, that I have thus overcome my feelings and repelled the infatuating wiles of a deceitful girl. I would not be understood to impeach Miss Wharton's virtue—I mean, her chastity. Virtue, in the common acceptation of the term, as applied to the sex, is confined to that particular, you know. But, in my view, this is of little importance where all other virtues are wanting. When I arrived at Mrs. Wharton's and inquired for Eliza, I was told that she had rode out, but was soon expected home. An hour later, a phaeton stopped at the door, from which my fair one alighted, and was handed into the house by Major Sanford, who immediately took leave. I met her, and offered my hand, which she received with apparent tenderness. When the family had retired after supper, and left us to talk on our particular affairs, I found the same indecision, the same loathness to bring our courtship to a period as formerly. Her previous excuses were renewed, and her wishes to have a union still longer delayed were zealously urged. She could not bear the idea of confinement to the cares of a married life at present, and begged me to defer all solicitation on that subject to some future day. I found my temper rise, and told her plainly that I was not thus to be trifled with, that if her regard for me was sincere, if she really intended to form a connection with me, she should not thus protract the time, try my patience, and prefer every other pleasure to the rational interchange of affection, to the calm delights of domestic life. But in vain did I argue against her false notions of happiness, in vain did I represent the dangerous system of conduct which she now pursued, and urge her to accept, before it was too late, the hand and heart which were devoted to her service. That, she said, she purposed ere long to do, and hoped amply to reward my faithful love, but she could not fix the time this evening. She must consider a little further, and likewise consult her mother. "'Is it not Major Sanford whom you wish to consult, madam?' said I. 
She blushed and gave me no answer. "'Tell me, Eliza,' I continued, "'tell me frankly, if he has not supplanted me in your affections, "'if he be not the cause of my being thus evasively, thus cruelly treated.' "'Major Sanford, sir,' replied she, "'has done you no harm. "'He is a particular friend of mine, a polite gentleman, and an agreeable neighbour, "'and therefore I treat him with civility, but he is not so much interested in my concerns "'as to alter my disposition towards any other person.' "'Why,' said I, "'do you talk of friendship with a man of his character? "'Between his society and mine there is great contrast. "'Such opposite pursuits and inclinations cannot be equally pleasing to the same taste.' It is therefore necessary that you renounce the one to enjoy the other. I will give you time to decide which. I am going to a friend's house to spend the night, and will call on you to-morrow, if agreeable, and converse with you further upon the matter. She bowed assent, and I retired. The next afternoon I went, as agreed, and found her mamma and her alone in the parlour. She was very pensive, and appeared to have been in tears. The sight affected me. The idea of having treated her harshly the evening before disarmed me of my resolution to insist on her decision that day. I invited her to ride with me and visit a friend, to which she readily consented. We spent our time agreeably. I forbore to press her on the subject of our future union, but strove rather to soothe her mind and inspire her with sentiments of tenderness toward me. I conducted her home and returned early in the evening to my friends, who met me at the door, and jocosely told me that he expected I should now rob them of their agreeable neighbour. "'But,' added he, "'we have been apprehensive that you would be rivalled if you delayed your visit much longer.' "'I did not suspect a rival,' said I. "'Who can the happy man be?' "'I can say nothing from personal observation,' said he, "'but fame of late has talked loudly of Major Sanford and Miss Wharton. "'Be not alarmed,' continued he, seeing me look grave. "'I presume no harm is intended. "'The Major is a man of gallantry, and Miss Wharton is a gay lady, "'but I dare say that your connection will be happy, if it be formed.' "'I noticed a particular emphasis on the word if,' and, as we were alone, I followed him with questions till the whole affair was developed. I informed him of my embarrassment, and he gave me to understand that Eliza's conduct had, for some time past, been a subject of speculation in the town, that formerly her character was highly esteemed, but that her intimacy with a man of Sanford's known libertinism, more especially as she was supposed to be engaged to another, had rendered her very censurable, that they were often together, that wherever she went he was sure to follow, as if by appointment, that they walked, talked, sung and danced together in all companies, that some supposed he would marry her, others that he only meditated adding her name to the black catalogue of deluded wretches whom he had already ruined. I rose and walked the room in great agitation. He apologized for his freedom, was sorry if he had wounded my feelings, but friendship alone had induced him to frankly declare the truth that I might guard against duplicity and deceit. I thanked him for his kind intentions, and assured him that I should not quit the town till I had terminated this affair, in one way or another. I retired to bed, but sleep was a stranger to my eyes. With the dawn I rose, and after breakfast walked to Mrs. Wharton's, who informed me that Eliza was in her chamber writing to a friend, but would be down in a few minutes. 
i entered into conversation with the old lady on the subject of her daughter's conduct hinted my suspicions of the cause and declared my resolution of knowing my destiny immediately she endeavoured to extenuate and excuse her as much as possible but frankly owned that her behaviour was mysterious that no pains had been wanting on her part to alter and rectify it, that she had remonstrated, expostulated, advised, and entreated as often as occasion required. She hoped that my resolution would have a good effect, as she knew that her daughter esteemed me very highly. In this manner we conversed till the clock struck twelve, and Eliza not appearing, I desired her mamma to send up word that I waited to see her. The maid returned with an answer that she was indisposed and had lain down. Mrs. Wharton observed that she had not slept for several nights, and complained of the headache in the morning. The girl added that she would wait on Mr. Boyer in the evening. Upon this information I rose and abruptly took my leave. I went to dine with a friend to whom I had engaged myself the day before, but my mind was too much agitated to enjoy either the company or the dinner. I excused myself from tarrying to tea, and returned to Miss Wharton's. On inquiry I was told that Eliza had gone to walk in the garden, but desired that no person might intrude on her retirement. The singularity of the request awakened my curiosity, and determined me to follow her. I sought her in vain in different parts of the garden, till, going towards an arbour, almost concealed from sight by surrounding shrubbery, I discovered her sitting in close conversation with Major Sanford. My blood chilled in my veins, and I stood petrified with astonishment at the disclosure of such baseness and deceit. They both rose in visible confusion. I dared not trust myself to accost them. My passions were raised, and I feared that I might say or do something unbecoming my character. I therefore gave them a look of indignation and contempt, and retreated to the house. I traversed the parlour hastily, overwhelmed with chagrin and resentment. Mrs. Wharton inquired the cause. I attempted to tell her, but my tongue refused utterance. While in this situation, Eliza entered the room. She was not less discomposed than myself. She sat down at the window and wept. Her mamma wept likewise. At length she recovered herself, in a degree, and desired me to sit down. I answered no, and continued walking. "'Will you,' said she, "'permit me to vindicate my conduct, and explain my motives?' "'Your conduct,' said I, "'cannot be vindicated.' Your motives need no explanation. They are too apparent. How, Miss Wharton, have I merited this treatment from you? But I can bear it no longer. Your indifference to me proceeds from an attachment to another, and, forgive me if I add, to one who is the disgrace of his own sex and the destroyer of yours. I have been too long the dupe of your dissimulation and coquetry. Too long has my peace of mind been sacrificed to the arts of a woman whose conduct has proved her unworthy of my regard, insensible to love, gratitude, and honour. To you, madam, said I, turning to her mother, I acknowledge my obligations for your friendship, politeness, and attention. I once hoped for the privilege of rocking for you the cradle of declining age. I am deprived of that privilege, but I pray that you may never want a child whose love and duty shall prove a source of consolation and comfort. Farewell. 
if we never meet again in this life i hope and trust we shall in a better where the parent's eye shall cease to weep for the disobedience of a child and the lover's heart to bleed for the infidelity of his mistress i turned to eliza and attempted to speak but her extreme emotion softened me and i could not command my voice i took her hand and bowing in token of adieu went precipitately out of the house the residence of my friend with whom i lodged was at no great distance and thither i repaired as i met him in the entry i rushed by him and betook myself to my chamber the fever of resentment and the tumult of passion began now to give place to the softer emotions of the soul i found myself perfectly unmanned i gave free scope to the sensibility of my heart and the effeminate relief of tears materially lightened the load which oppressed me after this arduous struggle i went to bed and slept more calmly than for several nights before the next morning i wrote a farewell letter to eliza a copy of which i shall enclose to you and ordering my horse to be brought left town immediately my resentment of her behavior has much assisted me in erasing her image from my breast in this exertion i have succeeded beyond my most sanguine expectations the more i reflect on her temper and disposition the more my gratitude is enlivened toward the wise disposer of all events for enabling me to break asunder the snares of the deluder i am convinced that the gaiety and extravagance of her taste the frivolous levity of her manners disqualify her for the station in which i wish to have placed her these considerations together with that resignation to an overruling providence which the religion i profess and teach requires me to cultivate induce me cheerfully to adopt the following lines of an ingenious poet since all the downward tracts of time god's watchful eye surveys oh who so wise to choose our lot or regulate our ways since none can doubt his equal love unmeasurably kind to his unerring gracious will be every wish resigned good when he gives supremely good not less when he denies e'en crosses from his sovereign hand are blessings in disguise i am etc j boyer to miss eliza wharton enclosed in the foregoing hartford madam fearing that my resolution may not be proof against the eloquence of those charms which has so long commanded me i take this method of bidding you a final adieu i write not as a lover that connection between us is forever dissolved but i address you as a friend as a friend to your happiness to your reputation to your temporal and eternal welfare i will not rehearse the innumerable instances of your imprudence and misconduct which have fallen under my observation your own heart must be your monitor suffice it for me to warn you against the dangerous tendency of so dissipated a life and to tell you that i have traced i believe aright the cause of your dissimulation and indifference to me they are an aversion to the sober rational frugal mode of living to which my profession leads a fondness for the parade the gaiety not to say the licentiousness of a station calculated to gratify such a disposition 
and a prepossession for major sanford infused into your giddy mind by the frippery flattery and artifice of that worthless and abandoned man hence you preferred a connection with him if it could be accomplished but a doubt whether it could together with the advice of your friends who have kindly espoused my cause has restrained you from the avowal of your real sentiments and led you to continue your civilities to me what the result of your coquetry would have been had i waited for it i cannot say nor have i now any desire or interest to know i tear from my breast the idea which i have long cherished of future union and happiness with you in the conjugal state i bid a last farewell to these fond hopes and leave you forever for your own sake however let me conjure you to review your conduct and before you have advanced beyond the possibility of returning to rectitude and honour to restrain your steps from the dangerous path in which you now tread fly major sanford that man is a deceiver trust not his professions they are certainly insincere or he would not affect concealment he would not induce you to a clandestine intercourse many have been the victims to his treachery oh eliza add not to the number banish him from your society if you wish to preserve your virtue unsullied your character unsuspicious it already begins to depreciate snatch it from the envenomed tongue of slander before it receive an incurable wound many faults have been visible to me over which my affection once drew a veil that veil is now removed and acting the part of a disinterested friend i shall mention some few of them with freedom there is a levity in your manners which is inconsistent with the solidity and decorum becoming a lady who has arrived to years of discretion there is also an unwarrantable extravagance betrayed in your dress prudence and economy are such necessary at least such decent virtues that they claim the attention of every female whatever be her station or her property to these virtues you are apparently inattentive too large a portion of your time is devoted to the adorning of your person think not that i write thus plainly from resentment no it is from benevolence i mention your foibles not to reproach you with them but that you may consider their nature and effects and renounce them i wish you to regard this letter as the legacy of a friend and to improve it accordingly i shall leave town before you receive it oh how different are my sensations at going from what they were when i came but i forbear description think not eliza that i leave you with indifference the conquest is great the trial more than i can calmly support yet the consciousness of duty affords consolation a duty i conceive it to be which i owe to myself and to the people of my charge who are interested in my future connection i wish not for an answer for my resolution is unalterably fixed but should you hereafter be convinced of the justice of my conduct and become a convert to my advice i shall be happy to hear it that you may have wisdom to keep you from falling and conduct you safely through this state of trial to the regions of immortal bliss is the fervent prayer of your sincere friend and humble servant j boyer end of section six 
Recording by Carrie Lynn Hewitt.